first word that comes to mind is shagging, bonk, rooting, <laughs> procreation, the ins and outs of sex. Okay. Uh, oh, bang. bang. What? Bang. It's called bang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, bang. <laughs> I'm Melody Thomas and this is episode 4 of season 3 of Bang, which means we're officially past the halfway point in the season. Next week we're going to share the live episode that we just recorded at Bats Theatre as part of the Wellington Fringe Festival and after that there's only two episodes left. One's going to be exploring kink, maybe a little fetish, not sure. I'm still looking for kinky people to talk to for that one so get in touch if that's you. And then the final episode of the season takes a closer look at a thing called sex positivity. But right now, we're going to learn about something that's come up a little in previous episodes, ethical non-monogamy. The non-monogamy part of that might be self-explanatory, but in case it's not something you've spent much time thinking about, we're talking about relationships where sexual or romantic exclusivity isn't part of the deal. People are free to pursue multiple and simultaneous relationships, And it's not cheating, because everyone involved is enthusiastically on board with the arrangement. That's the ethical part. Now these types of relationships have been around for a while, but there's no question they've officially hit the mainstream. In the United States, it's estimated that about 4-5% of people practice polyamory. We're going to explain more about what that is later. And 20% have attempted some sort of ethical non-monogamy in their lives. Here in New Zealand, it's kind of hard to tell where the numbers are at, but the closed New Zealand Polyamory Facebook group has more than 1,000 members. The Kiwi Swingers website claims to have more than 100,000 New Zealand members. And numerous workshops and talks about how to open up your relationship are popping up and selling out around the country. In this episode, we're going to hear from a bunch of people about the different ways that they're doing ethical non-monogamy. Some of them have just started out on this path and others have been treating it for years. But because there are so many different ways to do it, we're not going to be able to cover them all. What you're going to hear are just some snapshots of some of the ways it's being done. As always, there's sensitive subject matter, so be careful where and with whom you listen. And there's also some swear words in this one. Let's get into it. The word polyamory comes from two other words, poly, which is Greek for many or several, and amor, the Latin for love. Many love, many loves. Basically, it's the practice of or the desire for intimate relationships with more than one partner where everybody is consenting. Some polyamorous people adopt hierarchies to organise their love lives and reinforce boundaries. They'll have primary partners and secondary partners, but others don't like those terms and organise it in other ways. Now, if things get confusing along the way, we're going to jump in and explain, but for the most part, we'll leave it up to the people who are practicing it. Like our first guest, who others in the community might describe fondly as a baby Polly, or someone who's pretty new to polyamory. Um, My name's Rosie Morrison. I'm 27. I'm originally from Timaru, and I'm currently studying to be a paramedic. I suppose I had a bit of a life-changing year last year and lots of that was to do with my, I guess, just the way that I wanted to live my love life and I think part of that was moving to Wellington and suddenly being around all these people that did things a bit differently. Lots of them were having open relationships or, yeah, were polyamorous and kind of at the start I think I was pretty taken aback, like, whoa, that's radical and by the end I was like, I want in, (laughs) I want in, that sounds awesome. 
Now, people can enter into ethical non-monogamy as part of a couple, but a whole lot start out single, like Rosie. Here's how she got to that point. To be honest, I have never had a kind of long-term relationship, and I think lots of that was to do with the fear of monogamy. To me, it sounded really constrained, so I felt like it was going to impact my sense of freedom somehow. So I had lots of like summer flings and some really beautiful men in my life, but after kind of three months or less, I kind of would really be like, oh no, I can't do it anymore. So you, for a time, probably just felt like a failed monogamist. I think so. I kind of looked around and people would, you know, some people would say to me, I can't believe you've never had a boyfriend. And I'd be like, well, yeah, but I just haven't found someone cool enough yet, you know? Like, (laughs) don't judge me. You know, like looking at other relationships around me, even my parents' relationship, and just seeing, like, monogamy just does not seem to work that well for lots of people, you know? So it's just kind of like, I don't know, guys, we're, like, going at this recipe, everybody's, like, determined to make it work, but maybe we should try something different. So about the same time that Rosie started to think about relationships and how she'd done them and wanted to do them from there on, a friend's flatmate, Ross, told her he had a crush on her. And he also told her he'd just come out of a relationship and didn't want to be committing to just one person. And for me, this was kind of music to my ears because already, you know, I was like, oh, he's got a crush on me. Does that mean he wants to be with me all the time? You know, will I have to be his one and only? That's very scary. So I was like, that's great. Um, I agree because this is my background. And yeah, I wouldn't feel comfortable just, just being with you and you just being with me. I often think it all sounds really nice and then then I imagine it actually starting to happen and I wonder if I would be as cool as I had set out intending Mm. to be. How did it unfold? (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, by all accounts, it was like really hard at times. And I think that's like really important to say. Uh, I can imagine it sounds like this fairy tale land when everyone's just sleeping together and getting along fine and it's a big happy, I don't know, relationship wheel. But there were moments where, yeah, I was really torn up and really hurt. And what I so liked about my time being polyamorous was how much it taught me about my own feelings, you know, and how much previously I'd shied away from feeling jealous or feeling hurt or feeling betrayed. And it's like man, just feel that. You're allowed to just sit in that real yuck, tarry feeling of envy and it will pass. It's so interesting to dig underneath that and just realise that it's all ego-based, you know? Like, I'd think, oh, I'm so envious. Ross has, you know, told me he slept with this other woman and, oh, man, that feels real gross. Dig underneath that, you know, I feel lesser and, you know, maybe she's more attractive or better in bed or all these gross thoughts that come into your head and just kind of sitting with that and just being like, yeah, well, you know, maybe, but also she's a totally different person and he's allowed to like both of you. We got really close really quickly, I think, A, because we were intimate, but B, because we were so honest with each other. You know, you cannot do polyamory, in my opinion, without being 100% honest. It just doesn't work. When you talk with people who are practising polyamory, inevitably a lot of words come out like honesty, communication, expectations, needs, reassurances. Because if you want to do it right, and by that I mean in a way where everyone's being treated kindly and with respect, there's a lot of work to do. And as Rosie says, it can be really hard, but for a lot of people, the payoff is totally worth it. Yeah, I don't know. It just felt very freeing. I felt real sort of powerful in my own femininity, you know, like very allowed to do whatever the heck I wanted. Not always acting on that premise of kind of like getting with people or flirting with people, but just knowing that I could if I wanted to. I think that was like massive 
kind of unlocking of, yeah, I don't know, some sort of chains of monogamy that I'd always feared. So this is where Rosie's at now. She and Ross have actually gone their separate ways. He's heading off travelling and it just felt like the right thing to do. And that was really hard. But around the same time, a guy who Rosie had a pretty intense relationship with a few years back reached out and reconnecting with him made it a bit easier. Though, this thing with Ross has in some way kind of set her up for disappointment with other relationships with people who aren't polyamorous. To explain what I mean, here she is talking about this other guy. I told you earlier when we're walking in, I've had a couple of grumpy days (laughs) and that's mostly been because he's, yeah, just gone sort of up north. He's doing a bit of a road trip and I just haven't really heard from him for a week, which has been pretty hurtful after um, kind of having some really close times uh, in Wellington. I can't fathom this kind of like, yeah, not 100% honesty and yeah, not frequent communication. It feels really jarring to suddenly be like, oh, I don't even know which part of the country you're in if you're hooking up with other people. You know, I don't know where I stand with you. And that feels really hard. But I think I might have been, you know, a bit um, spoilt because Ross was, like, amazing at emotional connection and talking about how he felt. He would have been leagues ahead of me, you know, when we first started dating. Uh, So, yeah, he was an amazing teacher and I suppose now it's my turn to, I don't know, try and help other people get to that stage. I can hear all the straight women going, "Mm mm-mm, at that last bit. (laughs) Maybe John Campbell's tweeting dump him right now, as he's been known to do lately. Now, if you're listening, mate, you better be texting our Rosie right now. You might have noticed that when Rosie talked about her time being polyamorous just before, she referred to it in the past tense. So to finish up, I asked her if this was something she saw herself sticking with or moving on from. I don't want to kind of close it off as an option, you know? It was like, it was a really great way to do relationships. It was really hard. It taught me a lot. Like, more, I reckon I learned more in that sort of six months with Ross about relationships than I ever have. But in saying that, yeah, I don't want to come down on monogamy and say it's not for me. I'm sure there'll come a time where I'm like, I just want to be with one person, you know, that'll be so nice. And I'm just not sure if that time is now or not. Thank you, Rosie. Please keep us updated from here on in. We're going to hear from more polyamorous people later in the episode, including a polyamorous sex therapist who has some great advice based on her years working with people going through all of this. But before we do that, let's hear from a couple who've done things a little differently and where the path has been a lot muddier and definitely harder to navigate. So I'm 35. I grew up mostly in Christchurch but was born in Auckland. Um, I'm 30 and grew up in Nelson but lived in Christchurch for 10 years. This couple aren't going to use their real names, but we'll call them Matt and Ange. They now live in Wellington, but unlike Rosie and Ross, their relationship started out monogamous. He was a bartender at her local and he fancied her, but she had a boyfriend. When she broke up with that boyfriend, he stepped in as a shoulder to cry on. Classic. She was hesitant about jumping into a relationship at first, but that really didn't last long. I just wasn't ready for anything, to be honest. And then a couple of weeks later, you were pretty much living with me. And then two months later, we were engaged and then married two years later. So it kind of, it was like, no, no, no. And then it was all on. It just happened, yeah, Yeah. really fast. Was it that feeling of this just works? Yeah, so I actually, I had planned to move to Australia. So I was over there for six weeks and we became Facebook official whilst I was in Australia. (laughs) 
And so I just got to the point where I just had to come home because the only thing that I wanted at that point was her. At that point? <laughs> at that point was her. We're going to come back to the at that point a bit soon. But just so we have a good feel for their relationship, we've just heard things happened really quickly. And these two really love each other, but for a long time the closeness they shared was kind of more like what you'd have with a good friend. Well, I mean, they were having sex, but when it came to vulnerability and intimacy and really sharing how they were feeling, they weren't that good at that bit. So that was probably the first four years of our relationship was quite private, um, even between ourselves, which... Emotional. Which uh, led me to being, what is it? A dickhead. Uh, yeah, a dickhead and uh, infidelity. Here's where the story gets pretty tough. And I think it's best she takes it from here. I'm a super open person, so I've always been open about everything with everyone. And so I guess I just assumed that he would be the same. And so when... I found out that he had been with other people. I was like, where the hell has this come from? Everything seems so great in our relationship. And and you look back and you go, oh, actually, it probably wasn't that great. So the second time that I found out about it um, was when our our daughter was quite little. Um, And so I ended up having some help from like a Plunkett counsellor. So that was, I think, Sorry. And yeah, so, and I had some great friends that helped me through it as well. Yeah. But it was, it was really, there were other issues around um, our daughter is, you know, breastfeeding and lack of sleep and all that sort of stuff that goes along with having a newborn. Um, and so this, it was a pretty scary time for me emotionally. It was hard to get back from because at that point emotionally I probably checked out of the relationship. You definitely have. And so it took a lot for both parties to build back from that. Not saying that mine was as big as hers, because mm-hmm. it definitely wasn't, but... At that point, when she found out, it was not a relief, but it was like, OK, well, it's out now, now we can start talking about how this is going to end and yeah. try to rescue our friendship rather than rescue our relationship. So I told his whole family because um, I was angry and a family member sat him down and basically said, you're going to lose your wife, you're going to lose your daughter. And then that's when we just knew, we're like, this is what I need. This is why I went outside of our relationship to get what I want. And Now, whatever your thoughts on non-monogamy, we can all agree that this isn't the ethical kind. It's obviously a huge breach of trust, and that can be incredibly hard to come back from. A lot of relationships don't come back from it. But while there was definitely one person who was largely responsible for lobbing this grenade into the relationship, and that was him, and he would admit that before anyone else, infidelity is complicated. 
Now, before we hear from Ange again, no one's saying that what she's about to tell you justifies what Matt did. It's just another piece of the puzzle. I, I guess an important thing to note here is that I don't really, <laughs> haven't really enjoyed sex um, at all. Like, I've never really enjoyed it, and so it wasn't something that I needed as much as you. And so that obviously was an issue. I remember talking to my mum when I was a teenager and saying, Mum, I don't really like sex. And she kind of told me not to talk to her about it. And so from then on, like, you know, you don't want to talk to your partner about it because you don't want to make a big deal out of it. And you sort of, I think as women as well, sort of always made to feel like your job is to satisfy a man. And it doesn't really matter if you enjoy it or not. It wasn't until I was with him that... He actually started saying, no, well, I, this is for you as well, and actually made me realise that I was allowed to enjoy it. We were having quite frequent sex, which was what I thought he wanted, was just mm. more sex, whereas it wasn't necessarily that. It was having that deeper connection and trying new things. I think that for me, I'd, like I'd said, I've always sort of just, because I don't enjoy it, I haven't really been open to trying new things, new positions, new anything. And so I think for me, it sort of made me realise that it wasn't just about ticking the box and having sex every day or, or as many times a week or whatever. It was more about seeing what each of us were actually into. And it's something I'd never given any thought to, like what I might actually enjoy. But I, I feel like it was just me asking you what you needed and being open and, and I, like I just remember saying just any time that you're thinking about not being with me, tell me why and what can yeah. I do to help. I think what I was looking for outside of the relationship was someone that was exploring themselves, their, their sexuality and could say this is what I want and need. And, and then came I home found and found it. it. Yeah. I just didn't ask the right person. And here's where it all comes back to communication. The whole time they'd been together, he had been unable to say that he wanted sex to be good for both of them. He really wanted to connect in that way. And she had been unable to tell him that there was a block there for her, that even though she wanted to, she couldn't. But once it was all out in the open and they had nothing left to lose, they finally started having some intimate and tough conversations. And as well as talking a whole lot more, and a whole lot more honestly, changes started to happen in their sex life. Yeah, so I went to a, what was it, Pure Romance party, and bought a little little toy, and that, I could use that during sex, and that meant that I could enjoy sex. And that was huge, because I never thought that it was possible, and it just brought this whole new level of intimacy for us. After four years, it's a pretty emotional time. It was like we both cried. (laughs) That was massive because then I actually wanted to have sex because I was enjoying it. And the exploration didn't stop there. This is where the ethical non-monogamy part comes in. So I'd always wanted to be with a female. Like I don't, I still don't think I would identify as bisexual as such because I don't... I don't know how, I mean, I guess it's a spectrum. I'm not sure where I land on it. Um, but a friend of mine was bisexual uh, and is in an open relationship and I sort of got talking to her about how I might go about finding someone. In my, my mind, it was just going to be 
a one-night stand and see what happens. And then she sort of put herself forward as that person. And so her and I ended up meeting up a few times and um, she lives in Christchurch, so it made it a bit harder but also easier. And we met up a few times and had a few nights together and then her and her husband um, were keen to join us as well Um, and that's something that sort of was a suggestion of yours that you would quite like the idea of seeing me with another male. So Matt and Ange described their relationship kind of in passing as swinging but they also said it's not your typical kind of swing whatever that means and that they don't go in for straight couple swapping and partly that's because of the tough stuff that they got through before this. You are not with anyone else. No. And that's my I'm a rules. Happy bystander. Yeah, that's sort of my rules. Far rather know what you're into and I'll go along for the ride than say this is what I want. So but you get off on it. Yeah, I was gonna say this <laughs> and that happened. To me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We're not quite finished with Matt and Ange yet, but because things have gotten a bit complicated, it feels like a good time to bring in an expert. Okay, so hi, I'm Dee Morgan. I run a small counselling business called QPK Counselling, which stands for Queer, Polyamorous and Kinky. I'd emailed you at QPK, but I I hadn't put that together myself. (laughs) Now you've learned something. (laughs) I think I'm about to learn a whole lot. (laughs) So this is Dee, that's spelled D-E-E, and she is queer, poly and kinky herself. Here's what the poly part looks like for her. I tend to call it consensual non-monogamy. I find it a a better term than ethical because ethics are subjective. But for me, my consensual non-monogamy is polyamory and it's been a bit over 16 years now. A whole lot of my life changed all at once and a friend introduced me to the concept of polyamory and I'm like, this exists? And it was fantastic. I've never looked back. When it comes to the counselling work, she got into that partly because of what she went through as a queer, poly, kinky person seeking support. Um, I had immense difficulty finding someone as a counsellor for myself who I didn't need to heavily educate or um, check that they weren't going to judge me as I went. I talked with Dee for about an hour about her personal history with polyamory as well as her years spent counselling others. And so I'm going to bring her in and out throughout this episode to provide context and expertise where we need it. But she hasn't heard the interviews that you're hearing now. So her advice is general and not speaking directly to people like Matt and Ange. At the very start of our chat, I asked Dee about some of the most common issues faced by those starting out in consensual non-monogamy. Trying to go too far too fast. You've got to learn to crawl <laughs> before you can walk and then run. And most of us make this mistake. This made me think of Madden Ange and the reason that Ange's relationship with this other woman came to an end. Here she is talking about that. Lack of communication was what ended that. And that's because she had a very different idea of what our relationship was. Um, so for me, my husband is my primary and... What I know it sounds bad, but what he says is is was more important than what she said. Mm. Um, and for her, I was a primary alongside her husband, and so she we yeah we but again like that we just didn't communicate it properly, and things got quite messy. According to Dee, this kind of mistake is pretty common. 
we try to do too much. We think it's going to be fine. We think we've communicated enough and nope, there's a great big blind spot and stuff we've missed and inadvertently hurting partners. But eventually, you know, you learn from every mistake. Hopefully you're able to repair and strengthen those relationships if damage has been caused and you become a better person to partner with. Let's just say that there's a couple listening who are monogamous at this point, but they have talked about the potential for opening up their relationship. Is there anything that you would add to that in terms of exploring but also ensuring that everyone feels safe doing so? This can be a really hard one because when you're changing one of the base dynamics of your relationship, it often doesn't feel safe at all. It feels incredibly scary. You're going, my partner wants to explore with other people. Does that mean they're going to leave me? Are they going to fall in love with someone else and leave? And it can take quite a lot of time for the headspace to shift and go, oh, no, this means they can fall in love with someone and choose to stay. Ultimately, everyone chooses every day if they're in a relationship to stay in that relationship. But we don't tend to think about that on a daily basis when that's the only partner. When you're polyamorous, I think there's an increased awareness that, yeah, my partners are with me because they choose to be with me. Oh, that sounds scary. <laughs> it's, it's immensely freeing. It's like, oh, they actually like me. But what if they don't? <laughs> Thank you so much, Dee. That's Dee Morgan, and we're going to come back to you again shortly. It's time now for a couple who have been through the baby Polly stumbles and have settled into something more stable. We're going to call them Molly and Nate. I was born in Wellington and then uh, moved to the Wairapa until I was about 18, then moved back down because when you're in the Wairapa and it's not really anything to do once you're 18. (laughs) Uh, I was born down in Timaru. I spent about five years down in the South Island and then arrived in Wellington. Have been here ever since. Consider it home. Mm, Second person from Timaru. That's interesting. For Nate and Molly... Ethical or consensual non-monogamy has been part of the conversation from the very beginning. I mean, I, I kind of fell from the first moment I met him, yeah. <laughs> but like, I met this guy and he was like, oh, I'm polyamorous. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what does that mean? And um, it sounded like, you know, on the box, like, oh, that's pretty cool. But there were some rough times getting there for us. Yeah, I thought I thought it was kind of a glamorous thing and like I went through a bit of a slutty phase. It was kind of like a like a bit of unhealthy thinking um, where I was like, oh, cool, I get to fuck other people. But like as soon as this one started expressing interest, there was a little bit of jealousy because I hadn't, I hadn't been in this kind of relationship before and had only been in monogamous relationships and it was okay to feel jealous. I guess I had to get used to the idea of sharing my partner. Nate and Molly have been sharing each other for nearly a decade now. And she's gone from kind of going along with it because it sounds cool to fully embracing it. I consider myself an individual who enjoys sex a lot. A couple of years ago, I had a total of four partners and I would even have considered more. I have since calmed down. (laughs) 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 Um, Oh, I'm too lazy, there's this. Um, (laughs) I guess I kind of, it was handy having multiple partners so I could go out and get those needs met. Because, yeah, I feel that if... You have a partner who, I guess, can't keep up with you or what you're going through at the time and then you can, you have these outlets. It's perfectly healthy as long as you talk about it. And then I met my current boyfriend and I initially thought it was going to just be, you know, a casual thing. And then I just, you know, I, I kind of 
fell in love with this guy. Mm-hmm. And um, he stuck around. He stuck around. And he's still here. Yeah. So he have been together for yeah over two years now. And do you have any partner, other partners at the moment? Not at the moment, but I have in the past, yes. Yeah. I've had not had as many partners, even though I'm the one that started the polyamorous thing. <laughs> um, I kind of took it and went, woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had a few different um, girlfriends over the years and one boyfriend. Some of them have lasted about a year, some a few years, but others haven't. Others have been quick. Mm. Yeah. Hearing this for the first time can be a bit to get your head around. Maybe you're totally cool right now, but when Molly mentioned her boyfriend in front of her husband in this interview, even though I knew it was all out in the open, my body tensed up and I started watching his reactions like a hawk, basically just looking for any sign of hidden suppressed jealousy. And there weren't any. But I suspect that a lot of monogamous people like me would be the same. We just can't fathom consensually non-monogamous relationships because we can't imagine dealing with the jealousy that we would feel. Listen to this little snippet of me mining for jealousy and then just casually brushing it aside. When a partner comes over here, how do you decide like who's cuddling on which couch? We, we each yeah. have a couch. Yeah. That's, that's his couch over yeah. there. Okay. This is my couch. Okay, so if your boyfriend comes over, you're on this couch yeah. maybe with your yeah. boyfriend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But... Uh, I mean, my boyfriend usually go into the bedroom and like chill out on the bed. But yeah, it's, it's there's no like, her, this is my couch, her kind of thing. I mean, I mean, whoever's having sex in the house gets the bed pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> it's the practical decision. <laughs> Amazing. Now, all that said, and, you know, despite how cool these two are talking about that kind of thing, the idea that people in open or polyamorous relationships are immune to jealousy is totally untrue. We have another expert to call on in this episode. Her name's Janet W. Hardy, and she's one of two authors of a book called The Ethical Slut, which I think is probably fair to describe as the polyamory Bible, or at least one of. This is what she has to say about jealousy. Last I looked, monogamy did not prevent jealousy. The difference with poly is if you're attempting it, one would hope that you would walk into it with the supposition that you will feel jealousy sometimes and that you'd better learn some coping skills. Outside poly, if someone is feeling jealous, their instinct is to ask their partner to change something so they don't have to feel jealous anymore, which means you're never learning how to get good at it. You're laying all that learning process on somebody else and asking them to take it away from you. So even if you're not poly, looking at ways to take responsibility for your own self-care rather than asking other people to change their behavior so you don't have to feel bad. That's an important skill. The first time you have a jealousy storm, it will be a monsoon. It will be a hurricane. It will be really hard, and you'll survive it, and the next one will be a little easier, and the next one after that will be a little easier because you're learning. And it definitely sounds like this is the case for Molly and Nate. We're going to go back to them one last time for a bit about where to from here. I don't know. I feel like I've finished a tertiary qualification. I'm looking for another job and we're kind of thinking more about houses and mortgages and pets and settling down stuff. I think I'm fine with my husband and my boyfriend and I mean, who knows? Maybe 
you know, 30s and the new 20s, 40s of the new <laughs> 20s. Like, I might have a resurgence in the future. We have met a bunch of older polyamorous people. I don't think there's an age limit just because you're no. young and spry. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, you two are married, so I can I take from that that no matter what happens, you want to be together at the end of it? That's the plan. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I married this one for a reason, and I would like to stay that way. I'm really happy as long as I have this one at the end. Thank you, you two, and the plus ones that are involved too. We're going to go back to Dee Morgan now. She's our queer, poly, kinky sex therapist. Because at this point, there's a few things occurring to me and maybe to you as well. The first one is about free love and the movement that happened in the 60s. Because while I'm sure there were some healthy, non-monogamous relationships formed then, from what I've heard, communication was often lacking. Power dynamics were sometimes skewed in favour of men. And some people went along with things that they actually weren't too comfortable with. I wanted to know how Dee sees these two movements as different. I suspect that the big difference between now and then is, particularly around consensual non-monogamy and around kink, is you have these open discussions around consent. And that exploration into, is this a power dynamic that we've not actually consented to, or that we want to change up, or is this the thing that we want to be doing? And that doesn't mean that there can't be abusive relationships within consensual non-monogamy or within kink. And it's important, I think, to be aware that just because you say you're polyamorous doesn't mean you can't cheat, doesn't mean you can't be abusive. Those things can still happen. But there's space there to explore, to go, is this going the way I want it to be? Is this something I have consented to? Is this something I'm comfortable with? And the thing a lot of folks find when they join polyamorous communities is <laughs> there's a whole lot more women here. And mostly it tends to be the women who are finding or going out and falling in love with and having more relationships. Yeah. Sometimes a couple will open up and the guy expects that he'll be the one getting excused the phrase all the tail. And then suddenly their, their female partner is the one going out, look, I found someone, I'm having a great time. Oh, I found someone else. And that can be really disconcerting. <laughs> this sounds exactly like what Molly and Nate just described. And maybe Nate once found it disconcerting, but he actually seems pretty cool with it now. I think at this point we've made peace with it, but there's definitely that feeling of loneliness that can come from when one person has another partner and the other doesn't. Mm. And I think it's time management and that meeting of needs and the discussion, the open discussion of, I felt lonely while you were out on your date. Can we have a cuddle? Sort of thing. Um, and that, that's all it takes, at least for us. So another thing that you might be wondering, especially having heard a couple who's doing this so well, is whether this kind of relationship could work for you. I asked Dee if she thought that ethical, non-monogamous, consensually non-monogamous relationships are better suited to some people, or if anyone could do it if they put their minds to it. No, nope. um, I think monogamy is perfect for some people, and I think polyamory or consensual non-monogamy is perfect for other people. The thing I get vaguely grumpy about is people assuming that monogamy is the way to go because it's what society teaches us. I'm very happy for people to be monogamous if they've actually put some time in and considered it and gone, yeah, no, actually this works best for me. And if people haven't done that, I encourage them to do that. 
putting some time into why you do the things you do, whether it is your relationship style or the communities you choose to be part of or the sports you do, you know, are you doing it because you want to or because society says you need to? Now that point actually leads really well into our last couple for this episode. We are going to hear from one more person on their own, by the way, but this is our last primary couple. Ash and Jack are 29 and 35. They've been together for a couple of years. They're gay, which, at least until recently, has meant they've actually been exempt from some of the expectations around monogamy that others feel so heavily. So from the very beginning, being open was kind of just as much of an option as not. I don't even really remember a specific conversation where we were like, this is the rules. No, I don't either. I remember a conversation where where I said I would change my grinder profile to committed and then you didn't say the same and I was a little hurt. I mean one thing from talking to people in different open relationship structures is that communication is a huge part of what makes it work. Did you negotiate it in in other ways or was it just kind of learning and then being like oh that didn't work? Yeah I think we're constantly negotiating it because we're constantly finding the things that we're okay with and the things that we're not. And so some situations make one of us feel uncomfortable and then we'll talk about it. I think the advantage of being in a community where historically your type of relationship has been marginalised and was always considered wrong is that you realise that the, the normal kind of relationship doesn't have to be the only kind of relationship. Jack and Ash weren't actually sure about how to define their relationship. As they said just before, it isn't a static thing, but I guess you could probably summarise it as open, in that the relationships they seek outside of their own are about sex, not love. Yeah, for me it's really important to know that we're the people in a relationship, and we're the most important people to each other, and that he can completely trust that he's the most important person to me and I can trust the same. And the things that I've found the hardest to deal with in terms of things that he's done with other people is where it seems like more of a social kind of connection is being formed. I'm quite fine with the idea of kind of anonymous sex. We never even know their name and that kind of thing. It's the prospect of him hanging out with someone, going on a movie together or something. I'm like, whoa, what the hell? (laughs) The sex, like, is fun, but, it, like, the discussions, all of the stuff that comes around the arrangement that we have is probably the thing that I like the most. Even though it's really hard and uncomfortable, I feel like it makes me grow up every time we do it, and I get to know you better. And I guess I, I feel like for most of my life I've dated people and kind of just wanted to be the centre of their universe and just be, like you love me and like you don't even see anybody else like I'm a superstar and so to accept that my partner is actually like attracted to other people wants to pursue things with other people and still loves me it's kind of like a blow to my ego at first but the more that we talk about it the more that we experience it the more independent and, and stronger I feel Ash and Jack are going to pop back in the next episode of Bang when we explore kink, and I'm going to leave you guessing about what that kink is. We have time now for one more consensual non-monogamist. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm from Wellington. I'm non-binary, and I'm 26 years old. Can we? Where does the story start for you? I guess the starting point is 
not being happy in monogamous relationships. Um, so I had a couple of back-to-back really long-term relationships, uh, four years and then two years. And throughout both of those, I just felt like the expectations that I had of the relationship and the expectations that my partners and society as a whole had were just not in line with each other. So, you know, all of the what I'd think of as the relationship escalator, like the idea that you're going to date someone for a while and then you move in together and then you have kids and get married and buy a house if you're not from my generation. Just all of that stuff just didn't really do it for me. Then I eventually sort of realised that the way that I thought about people that I considered friends was kind of how some other people thought about their partners in terms of expecting to like be in contact and close to these people for the rest of your life. Even in my longer term relationships, I felt like I had more of like emotional intimacy with my friends than my partners, which is probably one of the reasons that those relationships didn't work out. We've heard about polyamory and open relationships and we touched on swinging. And even if you didn't really know much about them, I'm guessing you would have heard about them at least. But the relationship model that Tom subscribes to is one I'd never heard of until very recently and I'm guessing that might be the case for you too. It's called Relationship Anarchy. So Relationship Anarchy uh, came across a couple years ago and it's basically this idea that you get to choose what your relationship looks like. So you and whoever you have a relationship with, whether that's a romantic relationship or, you know, any other interpersonal relationship, rather than sort of following a a script that is set by society, you get to just kind of decide that these are the aspects of, of a relationship that I want to have with this person or people. Right. Like building a yeah. pizza or a yeah. sandwich. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's like it's like rather than going to like Ikea and buying a table, you're buying some wood and you're making a table yourself. Mm, um, you know. Interesting. And so it ends up being exactly what you want it to be rather than what someone else thought your table or relationship should look like. The words or the term relationship anarchy sounds really messy and like, oh, I just, you know something happening over here, something happening over here, and this is like it's... But from the way you describe it, it sounds like there's a lot more planning and conversation and communication. Yeah, I I would say that communication is like the most important part because there are no assumptions. You've got to sort of define everything. Like you have to define everything that you are getting out of the relationship, but you also you get to define everything that you're going to get out of the relationship. So if you want like emotional intimacy and some physical touch but you don't want sex but you do want to you know cohabitate and raise children you can have the discussion around that being what you want is it hard to match when those needs are getting so specific is it hard to match them with another person's needs there's i mean there's always things that you have to negotiate and i'd say that with like any healthy relationship there's some level of negotiation but also because i guess to me, a pillar of relationship anarchy is is that there's no restrictions on your relationships with other people as well. There's no expectation that one person is going to meet all of your needs, which, again, I think is really healthy, whether, whether you're in a non-monogamous situation or whether you're in a monogamous situation, but those other things come from your friends and family. It's about this point that I would usually ask somebody to describe the relationships they're in. But it's a bit tricky for Tom because the lines are a little bit more blurred. Basically, he has two people in his life who other people would consider partners. 
they live in different cities, but they're super close emotionally. And there's also a bit of physical intimacy and occasional sex. It looks like what other people I think would consider close friendship, just with the possibility of making it, like hooking up occasionally. And for Tom, jealousy doesn't really come into the picture. I would say I feel compersion more than jealousy. What a, I don't even it's, know what that means. So compersion, it's like the opposite of jealousy. It's like when, when something good happens for someone else and you feel good for them rather than envious. So, so it's like... Why do we not know feeling. that word? It's a great word. Um, and jealousy, it's... we all know so well, but the opposite, we don't even, we don't even know the word. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a great feeling. But to what you were saying before about like having a conversation around what you want, any monogamous relationship by default there's there's a line somewhere of like these are things that you can't do with anyone else and i would i think you would find that like different monogamous relationships have that line for different things like some people if you hug someone else like ooh, um some people you know might have a don't ask don't tell policy some people feelings are totally fine but no sex so i think that you would ask two people within a monogamous relationship and find that those lines are different for those two people because they've never talked about it and decided where that is yeah especially coming from my point of view where like the line between friends and and partners is kind of like blurred and how you define it to have monogamy as this thing where you've got this like absolute line that if you cross that line you're cheating but to not have anyone know where that line is and for it to be in a different place for everyone that just doesn't seem to make sense Mm -hmm. (laughs) so this feels like a good place to start wrapping up from in the last episode we started with monogamy and moved towards ethical non-monogamy and now we're coming around full circle to ask what those in monogamous relationships might be able to learn from people like tom and the others that we've heard from today Talk to your partner. It's like a trope in in TV shows about like defining the relationship, but that's not just like, oh, hey, are we a thing? That's what do we both want out of this thing? One of of my favorite uh, authors, YouTuber John Green, tells this story about going on a Christian pre-marriage thing to make sure that you're like on the same page as your partner. They do this exercise where everyone and their partners had to stand back to back and they were asked a bunch of questions, and one of the questions is, do you want kids? Him and his partner both put their hands up because they both wanted kids, and then they looked around, and there were so many arguments starting to happen because couples had got engaged to get married and hadn't even had the conversation about probably the biggest life decision you can make, which seems crazy. So, yeah, just have those conversations. Make sure that you know what you're getting into and that you're both on the same page about each other's expectations. Thank you so much, Tom. That was so interesting. Now we're going to finish up with our experts and some more advice, starting with Janet W. Hardy, the co-author of The Ethical Slut. First, some advice for single people starting out in polyamory. It's easier to fix having done too little than it is to fix having done too much. So there is very rarely uh, a huge urgency in any kind of sex or relationship. You can take it a little at a time and see what feels good and see what doesn't feel good. Find a support network. I can't emphasize that enough. A lot of the things that are going to seem strange and foreign to you when you first try them, other people will have tried them too and will have ideas for you. And for any couples who are thinking about or starting to open up. A thing that will almost always be true in a newly open relationship is that one partner will be more adventurous and the other will be more conservative. 
And what you want is for the more adventurous partner to feel very slightly restrained and the conservative one to feel very slightly stretched so that everybody is feeling a little bit uncomfortable. That's how you can tell you're doing it right. If only one person feels uncomfortable and the other is happy, there might be a problem. Just make that commitment to stretch for one of you and pull back for the other of you and check in with each other often. And finally, we're going to finish with our queer, poly, kinky counsellor, Dee Morgan. One of the great things about polyamory is it's just another kind of relationship. Maybe it's the difference between listening to a piece of music on a flute and listening to a piece of music with an orchestra. Still the same music, just a bit more complexity. I really like that analogy, by the way. I like it as well, but I do increasingly start to think that monogamy is more complex than than we've given its credit for. Oh, monogamy has its complexities. We just, we grow up learning how to navigate them because society talks about it. I don't know if we do. I think we get a really false idea about what what it's supposed to be like. Valid point. We learn how to navigate (laughs) some of them. I think the really big ones that come from polyamory is having those check-ins, trying to reduce your assumptions about what the other partner wants what the relationship should be pay attention to them you know what makes them happy rather than going well we've always had fish and chips on a Friday night this must be the thing we do in our relationship maybe you want to have a conversation see if you want to change it up and check in about things like um, boundaries and comfort levels and what you've actually consented to and what they've consented to. It doesn't always stay the same. And also giving appreciations, you know, being able to say to your partner, hey, I really appreciate that you're doing this thing that may be as simple as meeting me at the door when I get home or as complicated as spending time when I'm in a really bad place and doing something that, that really makes me feel special. Thank you so much for listening and for everyone who bravely shared their stories for this episode. As I mentioned briefly at the very beginning, I'm working on an episode about kink. So if you're starting out in kink or have been kinky since forever or have some experience that you want to share, please email me at bang at rnz.co.nz. You can subscribe to Bang via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. Review and rate us if you've got a minute. Bang was produced by me, Melody Thomas, and engineered by William Saunders. Adam McCauley provides valuable coaching in the studio, and the executive producer is Tim Watkin. Listener.